Riddler. He's asking for you. The killer left this for the Batman. Why is he writing to you? You came. I've been trying to reach you. Riddler's latest. It's all about the Waynes. If we don't stand up, no one will. You got a lot of cats. Never think about strays. The bat and the cat. It's got a nice ring. You a new friend of yours? I'm not so sure. I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this too. Hands up! Stay still! How am I part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Bruce Way. All these years, you lied to me, Alfred. We all have our scars, Bruce. You're still a Wayne. He's involved in this? No, he's not involved. How do you know? Except for Delaney. Who are you under there? What are you hiding? Selena, don't throw your life away. Don't worry, honey. I got nine of them. It can be cruel, poetic, or blind. But when it's denied, it's your violence you may find. Justice. The answer is justice. Come on, vengeance. Let's get into some trouble. Hello and welcome to the Movie Robcast. I'm your host Rob Daniel and as always I am so happy to say that I am joined by my lovely co-host Mr Rob Wallace. Hello and as always it's truly lovely to be here. Well today we are on a bit of a clock because Rob is just a busy busy bee. Or should that be a busy bat? I don't know. Anyway look at this I'm on a tangent already. Anyway we need to get on with this one because yeah Rob is a busy bee let's say and I think there's going to be some things to talk about and it will be interesting to see what we think of The Batman, which is what we'll be discussing today, the new Matt Reeves film, the latest take on The Dark Knight. I don't think we've really been starved for Batman films in the past 15 years, or 20 years really, almost, isn't it? Because Batman Begins was 2005. Anyway, there's been a lot of Batman, and now we have another one. The longest to date, so two hours, 55 minutes, which I think is a minute longer than The Godfather or something like that. <laughs> It's a long movie, so... Well, actually, no, sorry, I just need to quickly say before we get into it, something very lovely happened this weekend, or two things, actually. So I was up in Newcastle to see a friend of the podcast and a very good friend of ours, Adrian Zach, and you'll be hearing Adrian's thoughts about the Batman a bit later. Also got a chance to meet Mark and Elaine from the Honeymoon Period podcast. Yes, I've been... And also their lovely son, Blake, and that was a real treat. So nice to meet them. They're just as splendid as they appear on the show. And uh, we both said the same thing in terms of it's so weird to see your voice or to hear your voice and see your face actually speaking the words because I'm just used to being in Tesco hearing that voice. Yes, it was such a good morning yesterday. So I met up in the Tyneside Cinema Cafe, which is very nice. And yeah, they're just absolutely lovely. And also I listened to their show about the Batman this morning. And, well, like all the episodes of their show, I can thoroughly recommend that listeners go and listen to that one too. Well, yeah, I, I've been holding off because I wanted to discuss our opinions first. Okay, then. Well, let's get into it. Have you got the IMDb synopsis up? Yes, I do. Should I try and do it in a Batman voice? You can do, but do you mind leaving out the very end of it? Because I think the very end of it's a bit of a spoiler. Oh, this is going to be Pete Holmes's Batman voice from those uh, sketches I recommended you that you watch. Oh, right, yes. When the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer... That's just Cartman. Begins, <laughs> begins murdering key political figures in Gotham. Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it's set two years into Bruce Wayne being the Batman. Gotham is, well, it hasn't paid its electricity bill because it's very, very dark all the time. But it's also crime-ridden. There's no hope. Everyone is completely despondent. 
the institutions of power are corrupt, everything is completely rotten. And it doesn't seem as if Bruce Wayne as Batman is having any effect on this. Particularly as the Riddler, this new serial killer who has more than a touch of the John Doe in Seven about him, and also the Zodiac killer from the film Zodiac, begins to target the powerful of Gotham, and no one seems to be able to catch him. And Batman has to investigate that with Jim Gordon, who's not yet the commissioner, and he also teams up with Selina Kyle, who of course we all know is Catwoman. And um, yeah, three hours go by, and then the film ends. I think you can tell what I thought of it from the way that I'm approaching it, but normally I'm the bad cop and you're the good cop. So Rob, what did you think of Matt Reeves's film, The Batman? I was really excited going into this, and ultimately I wanted to like it more than I actually did. Okay, what were the elements of it that you liked about it? Or did you like any elements about it? Because I think you're going to have more of a positive approach to this than I am. And I don't want this to be completely mired in my own negativity. So is there anything about this film that you liked? I mean, I, lo- I thought it was incredibly well made. I mean, uh, the cinematography by Greg Fraser, who did who did June before this. Wow. And yeah, and there was a lot of kind of use of like ambient light sources, neon, etc. that I thought was really effective. It's very much the kind of moody, noir vibe. Uh, there were a couple of scenes kind of set in manor houses in the, you know, in the corridors of power that were actually strangely reminded me a bit of The Godfather with those very inky blacks and that kind of chiaroscuro. Yeah. I also liked uh, Michael Giacchino's score. I found it genuinely sinister in places. I think the film effectively conveyed, at least in its opening, the kind of dread that the criminal underclass have of Batman. You know, the, the signal appears in the sky. You know, they're all looking into the shadows, expecting Batman to be there. I liked some of the performances. I um, I liked the brutality of Batman in some in some of the scenes, where the fact that this is just a guy who's very fucking angry. <laughs> I liked Jeffrey Wright in everything. I mean, he didn't get particularly much to do. Colin Farrell was fun as the Penguin, as uh, Oswald Cobblepot, who um, is basically playing a pretty stereotypical Italian American gangster, who to me looks quite a lot like De Niro, like not in a flattering way certain kind of you know performative aspects to that um it's just three hours long so what do we think of zoe kravitz as the Catwoman? yeah she was i'm not the biggest fan of Catwoman as a character i just don't usually find her that interesting a foil for batman i mean my my favorite take on the character going back again to the original batman movie with well, the uh, the original adam west batman movie is uh, miss kitka Right. I do like the character of Catwoman. Uh, I thought that Michelle Pfeiffer was brilliant in Batman Returns. I really liked Anne Hathaway. I think she is a good foil. I think she's, she also, I think, provides some lightness to him because he's so serious and she's so playful. And she's also like a very good match for him in terms of wit and physical dexterity, which actually all came through in this film. I thought that was pretty well done. She brought as much lightness as she could to the gloom, although... There is one point, uh, and they talk about it on the honeymoon period pod, where she's undercover, but is clearly talking to somebody else the whole time. And it's yes, like, very clearly, very, very clearly. You need to sub-vocalise. Yeah, I just think people might think it's a bit shady, the way that you are just clearly talking to yourself. It's like, well, mm, is, I don't know, Bluetooth headphones allowed in here? It seems to be quite an exclusive club where maybe loose lips would sink ships. And uh, anyway, but... Um, yeah, I thought she was good. I rewatched Mad Max Fury Road very recently. She's really good in that. Oh, I forgot she was in that. Yeah, yeah, indeed. That's a good Warner Brothers film. Two hours <laughs> long. Two hours long. Two swift hours. It's almost like it knows that a film shouldn't be three hours unless it really, really earns anyway. What did you think of Mr. Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, but more Batman? Because Bruce Wayne is hardly in this film. Weirdly, it made me interested, more interested to see his Hamlet, because that's essentially what his Bruce Wayne is, you know. I really like some of the scenes at the Wayne Manor. There's that breakfast room they have that looks like Dumbledore's office, and the fact that this was clearly, a lot of it was shot on location. Um, You've got that absolutely enormous cathedral that just looks utterly alien. I think that was up in Edinburgh? That might have been Liverpool. Some of it was shot in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. I think it's the City Hall building with the pillars That's Liverpool, that's just outside the station. And there's a few streets with archways that I think might have been Liverpool as well. I really like the idea. I mean, it's based on, um, like, The Long Halloween 
and I think Ego. And there's definitely a bit of year one in there, especially with the design of the Batmobile. And Matt Reeves has clearly very much indebted to the films of David Fincher, specifically uh, Seven and Zodiac. There's, you know, there's the murder mystery angle to it. Ultimately, though, I just didn't find the mystery that engaging. I mean, I know that the whole world's greatest detective is, you know, a big component of, you know, certain tons of the tellings of the Batman character. But I just ended up thinking, so you're doing seven. I'm not getting the full on seven from this. I'm not getting the full on, you know, murder mystery, procedural goodness, goodness, Jesus, experience that's in that film. But on the other hand, I don't feel like I'm getting the full Batman. Yeah, I just, my mum, who I thought, would not like it because it's three hours long. She didn't like the length of it, but she actually was much warmer to it than I was. I thought she was going to really, really struggle with it. I didn't see it with her, but she was letting me know about it this morning. She thought that Robert Pattinson, as Batman, she really liked him. She thought he was a really, really good Batman. She thought that Colin Farrell was great as the Penguin. She only had a problem with the length, and I have a problem with the length because the story is... Uh, well, there's enough story there for 45 minutes, I think, and it's just stretched to three hours, which is a real problem. I also think with Colin Farrell, it's like, well, mm, you're right about De Niro. It looks like De Niro from The Untouchables gone to seed. So Al Capone, if we'd seen him go into the years where he really came to syphilis, it, it's that sort of thing. But I just thought, well, okay, so you've got him under all that makeup. Every time I see him, it's just really taken me out of the film because that is a, an amazing makeup job. But the amazing makeup job is just really, really bringing me out of the film because I'm just looking at it thinking, oh, you can't see the joins, the scar works really good, the eyes look different. I think if this film wanted to be really radical, it should have cast Richard Kind. It's like, go for someone like that, but go for someone that you don't have to slap a lot of makeup on. I think they would have had to have scarred Richard Kind up, but it's like, do some radical casting because Colin Farrell having fun under lots of makeup, fine, but... Why did Jared Leto get a kicking for that in House of Gucci, but Colin Farrell's getting a pass for this movie? I think because this is a comic book movie, although it's quote-unquote serious comic book movie. I think it's one of those things where this film's just getting a bit of a pass in general. I mean, I, I love the fan reaction. I love the enthusiasm and the passion of the fan reaction, but I do think that the critical faculties have been slightly blunted for this one. It's like, okay, so... Some of the reviews are saying, it's not an origin story, it's not an origin story, as if that's immediately going to make it brilliant. It's like, well, yeah, we don't see how Batman became Batman, but there's a lot of origins in this. There's a lot about him being an orphan still. And, I mean, I thought it looked bad. I thought there's a difference between the Gordon Willis cinematography of The Godfather, where you can see what's going on. It looks like an old Rembrandt or something like that, but it's very well lit. And this movie, where it's like, Oh, can someone just turn on a light, please? (laughs) Because Mm. this is not Seven. This is not Fincher. This is a misunderstanding of that style of visual storytelling that's more in line with Rob Zombie's Halloween, which is that same sort of, oh, I just can't see anything. I mean, there was one point where it's daytime, but it's really, really dark in Wayne Manor, and Bruce Wayne then puts on some sunglasses. And that made me laugh, because it's like, well, it just needed to be a bit darker now. But yeah, I just thought... Okay, so visually this is uninteresting, because visually it's the same as the rest of the film. It's all one note, it's all in one register, there is no variation to any of this. It is a dirge, an absolute dirge, right down to the score, and I didn't think the score was that good either, it's like that, dun 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 dun, (laughs) I give in and I'll sit here for three hours and watch (laughs) the Batman. (laughs) Fuck. But I just thought everything here is just in that very, very emo register. I mean, the score is based on a Nirvana song, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Which I actually thought was Red Hot Chili Peppers until Adrian corrected me. You'll hear that a bit later. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, look, I was into Manics. I was into the Manic Street Preachers when Nirvana were big. And the fact that Pattinson actually has like the emo fringe and the eyeliner. Oh, he really does, doesn't he? I mean, he's gone full emo. And also it's like, yes, you're right. It It is David Fincher, but it's like... We've had the Dark Knight Rises. This is the Dark Knight plagiarizes. Uh. Everything was lifted from other films. Everything. Including the Christopher Nolan films. I mean, we'll get into spoilers, but um, there's a lot from the Christopher Nolan films considering this wanted to uh, to be different from that. But also there's Saw in there. I mean, you've got Saw in there. Mm. You've got Seven in there. You've got Zodiac. But it's all just surface. They're just lifting the surface elements with no understanding of how character 
and nuance and empathy. Empathy is a big one because there is just no empathy in this film. And also humour, leavening humour. Because David Fincher knows how to do funny in his dark movies. There's just nothing of that here. The one thing that I really actually did have an issue with is I think Paul Dano's performance is pretty all over the place. God, yes. Please tell everyone why. Well, he just doesn't... When you're playing that kind of serial killer, we're not so different, you and I, you need to kind of strike a balance between the manic and the menace. And I just didn't think that was there. I mean, it doesn't help that he's doing the kind of Joker-style, you know, Dark Knight-style videos. Yeah. That are just a bit shrill and shrieky. It's unfair to compare everything that comes after to the Joker and that, you know, that incarnation of the Joker. But it does kind of reinforce how much charisma Heath Ledger has in order to sell those scenes. But also this really lent into elements of the Christopher Nolan trilogy. The basic plot is very, very much based around organised crime in Gotham and the Falcone family. And it's like, well, that's the same character that Tom Wilkinson played, right, in Batman Begins? And it's like, okay, so we're doing that again. Um, kind of done that already. And then all that stuff with, yeah, all those videos he was making, the, the Riddler was making with his victims was like, well, we've seen this before. The running commentary on the news. I mean, that's also from the comic, The Dark Knight Returns. But it's like, mm. there is just nothing new here. And everything has been lifted from other sources. Nothing new has been brought to the table. I did like the kind of bifurcated approach to Gotham as, you know, it's one part sort of grimy's 80s New York. You've got that kind of huge neon nightmare that is Gotham Square. And then you've got, obviously, the, uh, the locations largely shot in uh, northern England and in Scotland, the cavernous old stone that I, I think sets up, you know, the idea, visually, the idea of, you know, the haves and have-nots. But that in itself isn't enough to justify a three-hour film. It's not. And also there was, but it was all shot the same way. It's like, in Batman Begins, the Narrows, which is where Arkham Asylum is. So well, that shot, very, very dark and dingy, because it's the slums, basically. It's where you put the insane asylum, where all the poor people live, because you don't want to put it anywhere near all the rich people. So there is a difference in visual styles in that film, whereas this is just shot in that same gloomy key, and it's like, it's all the same. There's just, there's just no interest to this. There's nothing redemptive here. No, and it's like, and there's nothing... Well, I mean, a bit towards the, in, uh, in the uh, denouement, but... This reminded me a lot of Joker, the Todd Phillips film, Whackin' Phoenix from 2019. And it reminded me of it in the way that the politics of that film, I thought, stunk. And the politics of this film, I think, stink. This, for me, is not a good film to release at this time when we have, in this country, a lot of corruption in our politicians. The haves are really, really taking the piss right now. And this was a film that suggested that if the have-nots, like the plebs, try to do anything about that and to address that, it will only turn out bad and even more destructive. It's really demonising everyone, but it's suggesting that, again, only a billionaire can approach this problem, and that if the plebs try and do anything about it, they'll just make it worse. If the message of Joker was, be angry, this one was give in to despair. And I thought, again, to what end? To what end mm. are we spending all this money on this movie when, when that's your message? Something you're likely to encounter if you're making a movie that you consider to be a quote-unquote serious Batman movie that actually wants to, you know, look at and analyse and interrogate the idea of Batman. It means that and essentially, inevitably, taking a more kind of realistic, grounded approach, you end up basically concluding that Batman is bad. That Batman is not an ultimate good. And I know that that can be explored in films and, you know, was explored in the Nolan films. But this, I think this film found it really difficult to strike a balance. But as you know, as you would say, it didn't strike a balance at all. It was just one note. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it is one of those things that when you get into the aspects, the real aspects of what Batman is, well, he's a very, very rich vigilante. It's like, well, there are problems with that, right? With the entitlement of that character. But the Nolan films, I thought, were very good in terms of he never seemed to punch down, yeah, literally. Whereas in this film, he literally punches down at the very beginning. <laughs> Even the title, The Batman, it's like, well, no one was saying that until the Nolan films. And it was always Batman, but now it's The Batman. And it's like, okay, so you've lifted that as well. Yeah, you're right. You have to be careful, I think, in terms of how you deal with those aspects of Batman. This didn't do it. 
And Nolan's films are conservative. He is a conservative filmmaker. In The Dark Knight, there's an aspect of surveillance and an intrusion of privacy that Batman succumbs to to beat the Joker. And in The Dark Knight Rises, you could argue that it kind of demonises the Occupy movement. And it's like, well, I'm not sure it does. I think in The Dark Knight, he gives the power to Lucius Fox because he knows that he will never be able to resist using all that surveillance equipment under the pretense of a greater good. And the Occupy movement, um, I think that The Dark Knight Rises is more about how the disaffected will follow a charismatic leader who's telling them what they want to hear. And that was that was born out in 2016 with Trump. So it's like, yes, they're conservative. Yes, there are things you have to grapple with in the Nolan films. But much like Dirty Harry and what Don Siegel was doing there, it's exciting to grapple with it and to decide where you sit with the ideology of this movie. Here, I just thought, no, we're just all about the billionaire learning that he needs to save the day. And if anyone else from a lower class gets involved, it's going to be even worse because they can't be trusted. Do you think that part of maybe the what you think of the despair and the misery of this film come from the fact that in some ways the Nolan Dark Knight, the Nolan trilogy are partly you know reacting to 9-11 and all the, you know, those early mid-2000s politics and the fact that politics today is such a nihilistic mess. There isn't the, the thing, the single thing to comment on. There's not the focal point that you could say, well, it's the Iraq war, it's this, it's that's the other. And you just end up with what I thought of the film as being a bit of a bit of a muddy mess. You just end up swiping at a bunch of stuff and you know, often end up, as we've said here, making a film that can be pretty reactionary. I think actually that it's one of those things where politics right now is like, well, it's all about haves and have nots. And here you have a billionaire who has decided he is going to be an arbiter of the law. It's like, well, there's a lot of interesting things that can be done with that if you choose to do that. Whereas I don't think this film did do that. I mean, it also, Bruce Wayne just wasn't very clever in this film. I mean, some of those uh, riddles were like, okay, well, that's a bit easy. But there's a moment when he seems surprised of how people are viewing him. He seems surprised that people have a negative view of him. It's like, well, you've been doing this for two years. Really? That's just a currency now that some people might have a problem with vigilantism? You're not very smart, are you? I think the Riddler's right. He says, you're not as smart as I thought you were. I think he's right. In all fairness, they, the Riddler has had a pretty high bar in terms of previous incarnations. Obviously, when I was a kid, we had Batman Forever, which, you know, say what you want about the film. It had, you know, it had, had Jim Carrey in it, which for me was a massive thing at the time. And I love Frank Gorshin's Riddler. Yeah. You know, I, I, think, I don't think we'll ever beat the riddle of... Uh, what does a turkey do when it flies upside down? I don't know. It gobbles up. <laughs> and it needed something like that in this. It needed something just really off the wall and mad and funny. Because the Riddler is having a laugh as much as bringing fear and chaos. <laughs> I also think that that's pretty much our, uh, our MO, isn't it? We're having a laugh as much as bringing chaos. God, yes. <laughs> and this film's making it very hard to have a laugh. There's also an element, to your point, I think you're absolutely right in terms of things are so dark right now that it actually can be hard to approach a blockbuster from a political point of view, really meet the expectations. And that ties into something that I've been thinking for a while. It's like Warner's Batman and Robin was 25 years ago. It was a generation ago. You have to stop being scared of doing a lighter take on this particular character. The Nolan stuff, you just keep misunderstanding. The Nolan stuff was dark, but that's not what made it great. It was the invention that made it great. I think it would be very inventive to do a lighter Batman story, to do one that isn't so seeped in despair and grunge and dread. Do you read the comics? It's like, well, he's a versatile character and it can be done in a much, much better way than this. Because I didn't think this film was exciting. There wasn't one exciting moment in this film. Although I did like the fact that the Batmobile was a muscle car. I thought that was quite good. Do you find any of it exciting? There are bits of it I liked, but I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't particularly thrilled or enthralled at any point. Is there anything before we get into spoilers you want to finish off with? Yeah, it's just given the director, given the Matt Reeves, who's, you know, I think his last, the last film we directed before this was War for the Planet of the Apes. Mm. I think it was our Mad of Our Souls film for 2017. It might have been yours, I'm not sure if it was mine, but yeah. It was, it's this huge, ambitious genre jumping that goes from like a Vietnam War film to like biblical epic. Yeah. That's two hours 20. And I think worked in a way, you know, that had a, a deafness of tone that this film was just lacking. Yeah, it's, it's strained with Matt Reeves. It's like he did Cloverfield, which I think comes in at about 79 minutes without credits. 
and I think he's never bettered that. That is a five-star movie, and that is all about 9-11, but in a genre way that is exciting and is not just doom and gloom. It's absolutely exhilarating, that film. His Planet of the Apes movies I really like, but we always have to remember he directed Let Me In, that terrible mm. remake of Let the Right One In, that completely misunderstood everything that made Let the Right One In a good film. Although Agent in the part that you'll hear now, does have a couple of things about that film that he likes, and he goes into that a little bit. But I think that Matt Reeves is a... He's a director who you can never be guaranteed a good film with him. Yeah, so okay, then we'll we'll get into spoilers. But first of all, you're going to hear from Adrian, who gives his verdict on the film. And then we'll play a little bit of the film. um, And when you've heard that bit of the film, after that, we'll be in the spoiler section. So we'll speak to you soon. Right, okay, so, well, you would have heard what Rob and I think of The Batman, and this is just a little break before we get into spoilers, and I'm very, very happy to say that I am joined by the person who had to endure that film with me, Mr. Adrian Zach. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry it's about this film. (laughs) Don't worry, we'll get you on for a better film uh, at some point, I promise. Anything. Anything. (laughs) anything is better than this movie well that's what i say but um i'm just going to ask you a question what did you think of matt reeves's the batman um i'm the aka the darkest night fails to rise um i'm surprised we're going over this ground again with batman i mean as we were joking earlier today i mean kids come out of the womb knowing the bruce wayne batman origin story and yet they did it again it's like how many times I mean, The Godfather, it's a minute longer than The Godfather. The Godfather is a crime epic covering generations and multiple storylines and characters. This is a tiny story about corruption in the city, and it dragged on for three hours. I think my heart sank in the opening, where it's like, we're we're not going at this, what, what, 20 minutes in or something, and we're still barely moving. And I was worried about my, I mean, my eyesight is appalling. And we saw that on a decent screen, Dolby Atmos... Half the dialogue's still unintelligible, and it's either this muddy murk or this endless, bloody, um, shallow focus close ups. Yeah. And it's like, what, you've got no back, did you not have any background in this and you just need to hide the fact? I mean, I don't know, I just, no, I, I hate it. And I think there was a spinning noise, which was Kurt Cobain spinning in his grave because of the sort of the use of uh, something in the way by Nirvana, which is just lazy music cues. Oh, was that was it under the bridge, which is by the Red Hot Chili Peppers? No, no, that's they used um, the Nirvana. It's the line. The line is under the bridge, underneath the bridge, and oh. that's that's something in the way by Nirvana. Oh, that and just shows used, my lack of knowledge of music. But go on. Well, they used it tw- and they used it twice, just in case you didn't get it the first time. They used it again. <laughs> well, to be honest, it was like I just thought this weird emo take where we have like a musical break rather than actually telling the story. And again, it's one of those things where it's like it pretends to have emotion in it. It pretends to be about emotion. It pretends to be about characters, but it's just Batman embalmed. Yeah, I mean, the Chris Nolan, you know, Batman, it was dark, but it was also about hope, and that that's the key thing with, with the character. I mean, he doesn't kill anyone in this one, I don't think. No, he doesn't. Unlike the, the Ben Affleck, but I kind of, in a way, I was kind of pining for the Ben Affleck Batman, you know, about probably about halfway point i was bored i mean that was the thing there is no reason for this film to be three hours long no not with that story not with the way that it just brings in so many other things like saw and seven saw and Seven. i mean seven i mean david fincher is probably i mean or was it kevin um andrew kevin walker andrew kevin walker andrew kevin walker is is about probably going to sue because there is a bit where did they just reshoot this and take kevin spacey out of this bit but also Zodiac. Yep, Zodiac. I mean, saw, the saw bit was just ridiculous. I mean, there's some great actors in there. Yeah, to your point, there was no reason for this to be three hours. The saw thing just didn't work. And it's like, this is for kids, right? And it's like, but you've, you've made a very adult Batman film, but you haven't. You've just made a grimy, squalid, it's the violent, Snyder, it's the Zach, miserable Batman it's film. It's the Zack Snyder approach. It's like, yeah. you know, Merc equals depth and it's like well it doesn't I mean you know the Chris Nolan films they had emotion I mean they were genuinely exciting and genuinely moving and they weren't short I mean you know I think they were they were kind of two and a half two and three quarter hour movies in some cases but they flew by this I I felt every minute of that film and I was really and I was just thinking well the Godfather's playing in a couple of screens down I really should have gone to see the Godfather again because that's a masterpiece it is and it's also one of those things where there is a 
yeah, to your point, there is a difference between shooting a film with shadow and just not turning on the lights. Yeah, I mean, my eyesight's pretty bad, but, I mean, that film was was just murk. Yeah. And the, the only seems to be lighting the, the middle of the screen at some point. It's like, okay, it's almost like a shadow puppet thing. It's so dark. And the, the, uh, the use of the depth, the shallow focus was like, you know, me discovering the portrait button on my iPhone. It's like, wow, I'm going to muck around with this. It's like, yeah, every background is blurred. I mean, it's just a very weird film. It's like the Kevin Smith approach. It's like, why did you shoot this film in scope? You're not using the frame. I was thinking that. I was thinking, this is a really weird film this is all the choices i think are wrong well, it's, like shooting it's not it entertaining four, it's like they're shooting it four three safe <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a weird which no you don't know no, there's been no need to do that for about 20 years that's right well there's one point where you had a look at your watch and i was going to ask you what the time was but i just asked the guy next to me to turn off his phone so i thought well i'm not going to sort of like well there wasn't enough light from the screen for me to see the watch that was <laughs> the really annoying thing i was trying to see how much longer i had and i just there wasn't enough light coming from the screen <laughs> and i thought i think we're about halfway through and i think that was about right and it was like there's another hour and a half of this and it actually made me think my god at one point there was going to be a ben affleck starring and directed batman film could you imagine what that would have been like it would have been an hour shorter <laughs> it would have been it would have been an hour shorter but i think it would have also been entertaining yeah i mean that was the thing i wasn't entertained i didn't enjoy this it was really really painful to sit through that and that's that was kind of a sunday afternoon i mean it yeah. was the entire afternoon yeah just to finish it didn't seem as if the audience were particularly enjoying it either. I mean, everyone could have sat there quiet, but no one seemed to really get into it. No, I mean, it was almost like we were sitting there by ourselves, apart from the, uh, the dick next to you with the phone. There, were, there was no kind of audience reaction. There were no kind of bristles or anything in the audience. You know, when certain things happened, which, you know, for the... For the or maybe just there were no Batman fans in there. And, there were, you know, I was expecting maybe there might be a scattering of applause at the end from people who did like it people just sat there I think they were just it was kind of like a I think it's like a Warner Brothers smash and grab they're going to make all the money the first weekend before word gets out and it does does a hulk and just drops massively and the guy next to me to be honest did turn off his phone he was actually trying to hide it but it was I'm sorry mate but you can't hide a phone in in a film that's this dark (laughs) in this room is impenetrable blackness so I just and he did turn it off the Chris Nolan ones I mean even and the Tim Burton ones to be fair they had they had scope and scale I mean, this was a police corruption drama, effectively, yeah. with a vigilante. And it's just... I mean, I liked, you know, some of the effects work was good. I liked what they did with New York in this. I mean, that was one of the few redeeming features. It kind of looked like a sort of grungy New York from the sort of, you know, 70s or something at certain points. Yeah. But but that was it. And you, you, yeah. could, you couldn't really see much detail because it was just a few background, you know, digital mats. So it wasn't... Yeah. You know, you didn't dwell on it far long enough to actually get you just saw these little bits of detail and little suggestions of what it might be, but you're just thinking, well, that's the bit um, that's more interesting than kind of anything that's going on on screen. Yeah, indeed. It was also one of those where I quite liked Liverpool and I think it's the town hall or city hall just outside the station in Liverpool. That was the one that had all the pillars in it. Yeah. So that was used a lot. And there were like a few things where you could see they were shooting on a British street. Yeah, so some of the location work was quite good. So, yeah, that was worth the £250 million. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, there was obviously quite an effects-heavy film. There was, you know, ILM did all the effects for it. But there's a lot of it. It's just, we've seen it all before. It's like, you know, buildings falling, water rushing. It's kind of like, almost like a drag and drop. Oh, what's this file? We're going to need that file. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> there wasn't anything innovative. It didn't have the sort of, I mean, the Chris Nolan thing where they were using... Yeah, they were flying full-size bat wings or whatever they were called yeah. down the Chicago streets yeah. and then just doing some effects to paint out the wires. Yeah. I mean, this didn't really have the... I mean, the bikes and the cars, they were real, so there was a bit of weight to them. At least they didn't go fully digital on it. It didn't seem to be, but I was just bored. Bored yeah. with the whole thing. No, I think that's a pretty good way to end because, yeah, you're right, I was also really bored Wow, a boring Batman film. We've had them before, but this one was... It, just, it seemed to be purposely inert. Yes, and I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Matt Reeves. I mean, I'm even an apologist for his remake of Let the Right One In. Which you're wrong about. I know. Which I, I, you know I'm not saying it's <laughs> Insulted than, the guest again? It's not better than the original, but I, I didn't hate it as much as you know some people did, and I actually kind <laughs> of enjoyed it, because I'm a big fan of the book, and they did some of the bits that weren't, were in the book. But I, you know, I'm a massive fan of Cloverfield, mm. and he's a good director. 
and it's just it, like you say it's inert and it I shouldn't th- have that for a Batman film it should be yeah it needs it needs momentum it needs to be moving and there wasn't it seemed the cli- it didn't really it built to a climax but I was kind of like oh are we near the end now because there seemed to be a couple of times where it could have ended quite yeah. easily yeah. and it's like almost like they'd forgotten There's a, <laughs> oh we need a bigger climax than this it did alright then well I think I'm not going to force you to talk about the film anymore but I agree with everything that you've said and yes well thanks for coming on and I promise we'll get you on for a better movie next time thank you I mean yeah anything anything better than anything thanks very much or at least a shorter movie <laughs> shorter shorter is good brevity right? unless it's Paul Thomas Anderson uh, or Scorsese or Coppola something that warrants the running time I'm, I'm kind of siding now with some of my friends who are screenwriters who are like 19 minutes or less 90 minutes or less, that is such a good rule. Or Thanks for Batman. Yes, indeed. Bat or man. Oh, yes. <laughs> right, well, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me. Who's Wayne? I'm sorry. I wouldn't be bothering you here, but your people keep telling me you're unavailable. You really could be doing more for this city. Right, so you just heard from Adrian there, and thank you to Adrian for that. And we are now in the spoiler section, so from here on in, we're just going to talk freely about the movie and all the spoilerific elements of it. So if you haven't seen the film and you want to, then we strongly suggest that you stop now and come back once you've seen the film. It's weird, it's like, the, the whole thing I just found so predictable, that it's like, well, I suppose there are spoilers in this, like... I wasn't predicting the film to have exactly the same ending as Fast, as Fast and Furious 7. Oh, go on, what was that? Where they're both driving side by side and they take different paths. Oh, yeah. Having had that meaningful <laughs> look through the window. By God, you're absolutely right. An element that in Fast and Furious 7, because of course that was Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, after Paul Walker had died, wasn't it? Yeah. They created this moment where they drive off in different directions. I have to admit, I choked up at that bit. And it's like, so I've choked up at a Fast and Furious movie. Didn't choke up at this bit, though, because it, it just didn't have any resonance. But you're absolutely right, it does seem to homage that as well. So that's another film that it lifts from. Well, there we go. The fact that in one scene that uh, Falcone, who's played by John Turturro here, listens to the song, I think it's called One Dream, which is actually literally from The Godfather. Oh, right, okay. I suppose there's a spoiler that he is Catwoman's dad. Yes, and he's the rat with wings, which became fucking hilarious because it's like a lot of things have wings why are we just guessing blindly and also rat with wings is like i mean yes it is a pigeon that's what they're called but it's like it takes them ages to realize that a bat could be a rat with wings as well I mean, it's, that would be that would be my go-to if there was a man walking around a city dressed up as a bat i would go to that i think ahead of a pigeon i.e stool pigeon there's an informer the film spends a huge amount of uninteresting time finding out who is the stool pigeon aka the rat aka oh can we just get on with this but anyway yeah so it turns out that um falcone was her dad which i don't think is in any of the comics i think that was just invented for this movie but it was like oh um, okay so there's that big revelation but don't care and did you when that moment happened did it have any kind of emotional or plot no because it's like I don't really know who either of these characters are. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing, is that we spend three hours with these characters. At the end of it, it's like, I just couldn't say much about them, really. Other than, well, they look good. They all look very good in that emo way. They all talk very slowly. This was also, I think, an... Um, is it AMSR? <laughs> ASMR? I can never get it the right way around. This was an ASMR Batman movie. It's like, can someone talk above a whisper, please? I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I don't know what you mean. It's so archly stylized, and none of the performances are really seeming like they're real people. There's nothing, there's a moment in this where, you know, it attempts as a little bit of, a little touch of humanity with Andy Serkis's Alfred giving uh, Bruce his cufflinks. Oh, yeah. But it's like, I still prefer the moment where um, Ben Affleck's Batman makes Jeremy Irons a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. because the rest of the film is so shit that that tiny moment of just decency between human beings made me go, yeah, he's made him a cup of tea. I can relate to that. But you know what, though? I hated Batman versus Superman. I would watch that again before this movie. Wow, I, I would not, if only because Batman doesn't kill in this one. 
He doesn't, but that makes no sense either, because it's like, this whole thing about, I'm vengeance. And it's like, okay, so, I mean, I'm really kind of racking my brain to think, is that in the comics that he just says that he is vengeance? Because it's like, well, Batman's not... So go on. No, sorry. I just imagine. Like, yes. Yeah, he says it a lot. It's just like no. He. I can't recall him saying that in the comics. So he may. You know. He almost certainly has at some point. He probably has at some point. But that is the defining, driving, motivating force in this movie. And it's like, all oh, right, because I thought that Batman was about justice. I thought that he was trying to get justice, not just revenge for the fact that his parents had died. This is all about vengeance. If it's about vengeance, then why does he have a no kill policy? just go hog wild and become the Punisher. Again, that just seemed really muddled. It's like, well, Batman isn't just about vengeance. The the whole point is that he's trying to bring justice to the city. And another thing here is that he does mention it's two years and things are even worse than when I started. It's like, well, yeah, so why are you still doing it as Batman then? Because there's an interesting thing in The Dark Knight Rises where Alfred says, you can achieve more good as Bruce Wayne with your brains and your money and your influence than you can as Batman. Why don't you do that? And I thought, yeah, if you'd have been doing it for two years and things got worse, you'd probably try something else. Unless you're on an ego power trip. And if you're on an ego power trip, then you wouldn't act the way you are now. I don't think you would really care if you were killing people. It's... um... I did quite like the scene, although it may be more clever clever than actual clever where you think Riddler's figured out who Batman is, but then you realise he doesn't actually know he's talking to Bruce Wayne. I did not like that. But, um, but why did you like it? Um, I think that's the only moment that taught me, took me vaguely by surprise. Initially, I, was, I wasn't surprised to know that, to suddenly discover, oh, he knows who Bruce Wayne is. But then to suddenly realise, like, oh, actually, he doesn't. I thought that was a neat little reversal reversal. It was, and it was one of those things where, because I like the fact that, yeah, when you think that he's worked it out, that Batman looks at the video camera's recording and is clearly thinking, okay, how can I just erase all of this? And in the trailer, it just suggests that, or just seems to state, that Riddler knows Batman's identity. It's like, okay, right, so he doesn't know. I think it's also that that by this point, I was just so sick of the film that it was like, can we just fucking wrap this up, please? But it's also one of those things where I thought, well, Riddler's clever. He might have actually figured it out in just saying it, saying, hang on a second, now I'm talking about it. Now I hear the words coming out of my mouth. Who would have the resources to do what you're doing? Um, <laughs> Bruce Wayne, right? Well, that, that'd be really funny, yeah, watching him figure it out. Just watching him go, huh. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's another um, David Fincher film I feel, I feel that um, the Batman ends up inadvertently referencing, if only because it resolves a plot hole, is that there's got to be some sort of Project Mayhem organisation for the armed gunman to have got into the arena at the end, before anyone else did. I thought that was going to be the case, that it was going to be that a lot of people in low-level jobs or like kind of what were called unskilled or low-skilled jobs, but after the pandemic it turns out, well, they're the people that we really, really needed. I thought it was going to be a case that everyone had kind of orchestrated this. And that, again, just didn't happen. So Riddler had basically met some other radicals online and they'd all got their guns. It was quite funny, though, and I know, I know that this has been commented on Twitter, that they're like, he has 500 followers. He's like, yeah, <laughs> I've got more than that, and I have no social footprint. Yeah, well, well Mr. Billy Big Bollocks. That, that's the thing, is that it's like, <laughs> well, I've got more than that, but when I tweet, it may get maybe like 40 impressions a tweet. It's like, okay, yeah, right. Rob, you need to publicise your murders for clout. Yes, indeed. Although I think if you've got 500 followers, at least 100 of those are going to be bots, so... There was something else about the... Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, this was also mentioned on the Honeymoon Period podcast, but I'm going to have to say it here because I was watching it going, I know that Robert Pattinson has a sturdy chin, but I think that chin is stronger than any of his armour because a bomb goes off in his face and it doesn't even graze the skin. And he gets a shotgun fired at him. It doesn't... And there's no, like, powder burns or scratches on his face. It's like... Wow, that is a sturdy chin. Also, when Alfred gets blown up, and it's like, so he's fucking dead then, right? I mean, that, that blew, again, blew up in his face. Yes, that's right. I mean, he, I think he turned over the table, but it's like, it's a bit of C4, four feet away from him. <laughs> it's going to wipe him out. Um, it's going to shatter his body from the inside, at least. But then I thought, well, I'm glad they didn't kill Alfred because it's like... Yeah, that would have been just an additional level of just fucking grim. 
That's right. I'm actually surprised they didn't do that. But, well, yeah, maybe they'll do it in the next one. And there will be a next one because this one's done really, really well. But it was like, you're not introduced him enough for that to really mean anything. And then it turns out at the end that um, he's part of the redemption for Bruce Wayne in terms of Bruce Wayne learning, actually, if I use the symbol of Batman to inspire people and to bring hope, then maybe that's better than just going around and hammering the shit out of people at the very bottom. It's like, well, it took you two years to realise that. Okay, um, but you're really not very smart, are you? The Riddler is right. So are we saying that, you know, a lot of this could have been avoided in terms of the Riddler being a copycat reaction to Batman if Bruce Wayne had just started a fight club? Yeah, but also that's a really good point that you've made there. If Bruce Wayne hadn't become the Batman and just used his money and his intelligence and his resources, then this film wouldn't have happened and there wouldn't have been any murders. So actually Bruce Wayne is responsible for everything that happens in this film. (laughs) I was amazed by the lack of Bat people at Comic-Con when I went. Oh yes, you went to Comic-Con, didn't you? Yes, indeed. Were there any jokers there or was it? No, not really. Yeah. What was the main character that you saw there? Was there a particular character uh, du jour? Oh, there, there were lots of doctors. Right. Uh, sorry, as in the doctor from Doctor Who, not just people walking around <laughs> wearing lab coats and stethoscopes. Oh, well, they are the real heroes. Um, well, actually, um, even though we're in spoilers... You went above and beyond to review this film because I saw this with Adrian yesterday at a three o'clock in the afternoon showing at the View Gateshead. So we got out at 6pm, started watching it at 3pm. When you saw this film, you got out the cinema at 3am, didn't you? Yeah. Tell us about that. Essentially, I had an early morning flight to fly up to Scotland for a friend's stag do. Basically, I had planned on seeing this in Scotland, but then I wasn't quite sure the timings were going to work out in terms of getting from the airport. So I just thought... I'll just have a look. I'll just have a look at my local Odeon. And it turned out they were doing a number of midnight screenings. So yeah, essentially, I came straight back from the screening of this at three something in the morning, uh, grabbed my suitcase and got a uh, an Uber to London City Airport. <laughs> was it a busy audience? Was it? Uh, there was there were a handful of people in like more than actually more than a handful of people in there. Um, and what was the reaction like? Muted. Same here. I don't think yours was muted just because it was late. I thought that there might be some applause at the end because people have loved this movie. The internet is full of people who love this movie. But I have to admit, yesterday the it ended and there was a real sense of like, hmm, in the audience. And yeah, no one seemed to be completely jazzed or energised by what they'd just seen. Shall we talk about Unseen Arkham Prisoner? Yes. Played by... Barry Keane. I would never have guessed it was Barry Keane. So Barry Keane, of course, being the young lad who's injured on the boat in Dunkirk, which was directed by Christopher Nolan, who did three very good Batman movies. Was also in Eternals, the uh, the MCU film. Green Knight also did, I think, the same year as Dunkirk, uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, the uh, Yorgos Anthemos film, with, appropriately enough, Colin Farrell. It all ties in. Unseen Arkham Prisoner is the Joker. Yes, it is very strongly... I mean, it is just a joke. If it's not, then it's like, well, that was just a really, really... Weird decision to make. Yeah, like a really weird and pointless decision to make. Because he's talking to Riddler and he says, oh, like, people think you're a clown, but there are worse things to be than a clown. And they start laughing and... Good to have, like, oh, you've got a friend. And it's like, fucking supervillain friends over here. But it's also like, because you can kind of see the shape of the face, and I thought it, they seem to have put some latex on him, some like prosthetics to change the shape of his face. It also looks like they've got the scarring, so presumably they're going to do, if they decide to do this for the next one and have the Joker, they'll do the thing where he's fallen into the vat of chemicals, like in, well, in the original origin story, but also in the Burton Batman film. And he seemed to have green hair, and it's like... You'd also, you would think that... It would probably be in the interests of the staff to stop the patients from talking to each other. Yeah, particularly two who have very, very similar MOs because a lot of people <laughs> say that Riddle is just basically a cut price joker. Yeah, it's like it's really easy for them to talk to each other and they might even plot and scheme. And isn't the Joker criminal mastermind? And, um, and also, Riddle has proved himself very canny at bringing absolute chaos and devastation to the city. I mean, he actually flooded the city. So do you not want to put him in. Comp- complete isolation until you know what you're dealing with but again just you know just the surface illusion of a clever movie and also i'm sorry but oh yeah because remember batman begins that ended with a tease for the joker in the next one didn't it so we're just back to that again fucking hell yeah but do you remember the elegance of it in batman begins it just had the playing card so brilliant 
I might be a bit indulgent and play that at the very end of this episode because I love the conversation that Batman has with Gordon at the end of Batman Begins. Just sets up in a very, as you said, a very, very elegant way, sets up all the themes of the next movie in terms of escalation, the fact that the Joker's going to be there. It's so exciting. And this was like, oh yeah. So we're doing this again then. The Dark Knight plagiarises once more for the, yeah, okay, fine. Ah. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I didn't want to be... Yeah. If listeners want to hear a positive review, then we strongly recommend they go to the Honeymoon Period podcast where Elaine does talk about the film in a much more positive way and she talks about it in a very, very interesting positive way because she saw lots of things of value in there. Our opinions don't align on that, but it was interesting to hear that perspective. I was actually genuinely interested to see what you were going to make of this. I wasn't sure if you were going to like it or not. No, I think this is one of those ones that we are fairly aligned on true okay then well um shall we call it a day until same time next week same bat time same bat bat channel channel. yeah yeah (laughs) i think that's okay then well if people wanted to find you on the internet rob with all your strange videos where you are radicalizing your (laughs) army where can they do that rob that's this pod that's what this pod's for yeah it is that's right if you want to find me online even after this you can do so on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. Uh, you can also find my writing at of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. And Rob, there's another film that is a wonderful fantasy film that is much better than The Batman, and it's called Highlander. Uh, yes, if you're interested in uh, hearing our thoughts on the movie Highlander, the wonderful movie Highlander, scene by scene, uh, you can do so at uh, Another Time McLeod, wherever you're listening to this. You can also follow that pod on Twitter at mcleod time or drop us an email even at who wants to pod forever at gmail.com fantastic thank you and if you want to follow me on twitter i am at rob underscore a underscore daniel if you want to read my writing you can find that at filmstories.co.uk at lovehorror.co.uk and at electric-shadows.com if you want to rate and review this podcast then please do It's always much appreciated and it helps the podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, it is at MovieRobCast. Well, Rob, thank you very much, as always. And thank you very much. And thank you for listening. And we will speak to you again very, very soon. We can bring Gotham back. What about escalation? Escalation. We start carrying semi-automatics, they buy automatics. We start wearing Kevlar. They buy armor-piercing rounds. Yeah. And you're wearing a mask. Jumping off rooftops. Take this guy. Armed robbery, double homicide. Got a taste for the theatrical, like you. Leaves a calling card. I'll look into it. I never said thank you. And you'll never have to.